Hello and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Caitlin and with me today are... Jake. Chris. Ames. Uh, Carl. Carl! <laughs> I was Carl wondering if back, Carl guys. was here. <laughs> Told you he'd be back. Who is this strange man? <laughs> I miscounted for a second. That's all right. We do it all the time. Chris, Chris half the time can't remember he's on this show. What? Yeah. <laughs> Where we, am I? We dragged Carl out of a portal we found and some rocks, and he's not. We're not sure if Carl's, Carl's exactly here or not. He had. He was concealed carrying. This is actually Carl Starry from twenty forty eight. Embittered former playwright Carl. Oh, poor Carl. And. uh... We are here today for episode 219 of A Star to Steer Her By. I know. Hardly bears thinking about. Today, just to try something new and interesting, we're going to talk about two episodes of Deep Space Nine. Hmm. Gasp. We're going to talk about Profit and Lace and Time's Orphan. Oh, oh it's boy. that week. So, where to start? I'll start. Oh, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. I'm going to start. I'm just going to do it because you paused for too long and I'm jumping in. I found I found a, a treat that I was, uh, I, I think Jake knows about. But you guys are going to enjoy, and I apologize if this is way too fucking loud. It'll just be—it'll be just a second, though. So this is from our episode number fifty-eight. Oh no! Of uh, uh, TNG episodes, the last outpost, and another one. Don't do it. I'm doing it. I'm doing Don't it. Don't do it. That is a lot of depth that gets added to the Ferengi during DS9, and a lot of it's really good. It's good stuff. Like I like Ferengi episodes are some of my favorites. We find out that, yeah, it's a very misogynistic sort of society. And Wallace Shawn is their leader. Yeah, Wallace Shawn. Now, this goes back to, so... um, It was uh, from Princess Bride, right? Inconceivable. Alright, that's enough of that. So, I said, God, how many episodes ago? Man, Ferengi episodes are some of Jake's favorite episodes. And Jake's like, no, no, I never said that. I never said that a day in my fucking life. So I've been doing a rewatch of our t- the Next Generation coverage, and I came across this episode exactly where Caitlin said I would found it, find it as well, which is our very first meeting with the Ferengi and their kinky, mm. kinky whips. Of oh, where where Jake said, "quote Ferengi episodes are some of my favorite episodes." Okay, in my defense, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was only thinking about one episode when I said, "Was that. it this one?" <laughs> it was. Caitlin, tell us about this one. Oh boy, this one. Oh, this one. Oh well, my god. Listen, there's a lot. There's a lot to cover here. First of all, we open on Quark sexually harassing one of his Dabo girls. Oh, so like it was uh, season one of Deep Space Nine again. So that was disgusting. Yeah. It might have been the worst one, too. Oh, but yeah. it was really bad. So bad. Yeah. I mean, and the girl also thing. couldn't act, so even no. worse. <laughs> she was really pretty, though. Oh, yeah. I wanted her to fondle my ears, too, but I wouldn't have blackmailed her into it. Oh, my God. Because I'm not a monster. So in Profit and Lace, after Quark is done trying to molest his Dabo girl, we find out that there's complete radio silence on Ferenginar, and Rom has been unable to get a hold of Moogie or Zek or anybody. Or Lek. Or Lek. <gasps> Lek. Or, I love uh, hearing about Lek. Or Gala. Yeah. Of course, Gala might have just been on his own moon. 
Yeah, fuck Gala. Really Lex know. the best. No, fuck Gala too. That's true. But we don't need to worry for long because Zek and Moogie uh, arrive on Deep Space Nine. And Zek is like, we've got good news and bad news, Quark. Basically, what's happened is, is he has declared that females can are equals and can wear clothes and do commerce and earn money and shit. And, uh, and that's the good news? Ugh. I don't really remember what the bad. No, I thought that was the bad news. No, that was the good news. It was the bad news from Quark's perspective. Oh, right. What was the good, bad? What was the coup. other news? Oh, yeah. The other news was that there, there was a coup and Zek is no longer Grand Nagus. Instead, we have... Brunt, formerly FCA, as acting Grand Nagus. And they're not going to let us forget that he's acting Grand Nagus because every time someone says Grand Nagus fucking Brunt with the, you know, exact timing of Frau Bluka <laughs> acting Grand Nagus. I don't know, I was really hoping you were going to say Grand Nagus Brunt so I could say acting. No, absolutely not. I never we'll want to hear we'll it. We'll find more opportunities I for you, I never want to hear it again. So that became annoying. Don't worry, though, because they've got a plan to overthrow in like the broadest sense of the word. In this case, it's underthrow because they were originally in power. Mm. Yeah. Good point. That's how that works. And because this is some low hanging fruit, (laughs) lowest common denominator fucking humor bullshit. But yeah, so they're like, well, but like, you know, maybe we can get back into power if we can convince other powerful Ferengi to, you know, back us. And we've convinced our buddy Nilva to come and talk with Ishka, which is Moogie's real name. If you don't remember, don't know. They're like, yeah, we'll just talk to him. He'll get it. However, their plan is thwarted when Quark... Basically, I mean, literally, uh, Bashir says she needs a new heart. So Quark basically kills Moogie <laughs> by saying that she's like the worst shit that ever happened to Franganar, to him and to the whole world. Her heart gives out. And because of that, she's not going to be up on her feet in time to, I almost said entertain, but like to Umox. persuade oh. Nilva, you know, to uh, to think about all the glorious, glorious money he can make uh, off of women. So they have to find a replacement and soon because they find out Nilva's coming sooner than than she'll be feeling better. And they decide that the best way to do this is to throw Quark into the plastic surgery machine, give him a set of tits and throw him at Nilva. And they call him Lumba, which is a fucking hilarious joke because he doesn't know how to walk like a woman in spite of the expert tutelage of his brother, Rob? And Who maybe only works is a cross-dresser? Yeah, and only works as a joke if you think they're speaking English, which they're not. Well, Snug. actually, you know, in a way, them not speaking English and the joke being rough sort of works better. Because, like, as, as people who watch a lot of, like, subtitled anime, they kind of try to, like... Force the because the Japanese love their like word puns, hmm. so they try to like smush an English joke in, and it doesn't always make oh, perfect man. sense. So actually, from that perspective, that almost excuses how bad the joke is. Mm. So we we will throw it out the window and not accept it. Good, um, acceptable. No, fuck that. Not it's not the, it's not it. So Nova shows up, and you know things go well. Cork. Sorry, Lumba convinces him like, oh, yeah, well, you know, um, you could tell Ferengi women that you're gross cola, sluggo cola, 
is going to be uh, great for keeping the lovely green luster on their teeth, I, which is better than what I thought. I thought we were going to get Diet Sluggo, honestly. I was, like, waiting for that. But... They, get, they get that one low-hanging point. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nope. They, that was good. That was good. And, you know, as you might have expected, I certainly saw it coming. Nilva decides he really wants to get in to, into Lumba biblically. Sexually. It was like a Pepe Le Pew scene. It oh my god. So it, was, it went on for so long. Oh my god. And it was it's it was wild because the first scene felt like it went on for so long. Everyone says you're nice. You're nice to them, you smile at them, you remember the waiters' names, you never fuck your boss. Why don't you fuck your boss sometimes? But this is yeah, even worse. It like feels like three hours of like just the rapiest fucking crazy Pepe Le Pew shit ever. With a comedy um, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I hate the comedy soundtrack. It was yeah. so terrible. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was out of place, so. I just realized, I failed to mention, too, that Brunt actually also shows up, and he knows mm. that there is a, a game afoot, so he walks in on this display between Nilva and Lumba, and... Brunt's like, oh, no, he's not even a woman. He's a man, you idiot. That's Quark. And Quark's like, oh, yeah? Would a real woman be missing these? And whips out his tits. That's an Ace Ventura reference. Guess he really got tits put in, because Nilva's like, you're woman enough for me. And I, Chris and I exchanged a look and then a some like it hot joke. And, um... <laughs> yeah, not everyone's uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See? Ames gets it. And so... Nilva is like, Brunt, go fuck yourself. And I'm totes all for women's rights. And uh, and Cork almost apologizes and makes good and makes up for being a dirty creep with his Dabo girl. But of course, because, you know, women secretly love being sexually harassed. She was actually kind of into it. Mm. So he's like, oh, wait, you're into it? Then we should definitely still fuck. I mean, I was going to let it go, but you're so into it. We should do it. But yeah, so basically that's it. We start with sexual harassment. We have some more sexual harassment in the middle and we end with sexual harassment. We'll never get the meal. We'll never get the flavor of this horrible fucking episode out of our mouths. So while perhaps Jake misspoke so many episodes ago, <laughs> we know that I normally have a soft spot for Ferengi episodes. Yeah, this I is a like, spot for this one. I would like to make it clear from the offing. This is hot garbage. But at least it's hot. This is definitely like I highly doubt with a season and two episodes to go, there will be enough bad episodes to knock this out of the top five worst DS9 episodes ever. What about you mean the top one worst Deep Space Nine episodes ever? This is really bad. It is. I mean, so bad. It's rough. The only other candidate. Misguided, too. It's like they thought this was going to be like a huge farcical comedy thing. And instead, it's rape jokes. Yeah. Lots of them. So So many. many. (laughs) It's just like, I hated the opening scene. Oh, yeah. Then... Zek shows up, there's been a coup. And that's not Quark anymore, god damn it! Yeah, no, they dropped that. Yeah, six years of character development, and they're just, like, taking a piss on it. Yeah. Okay. And I was, like, I was on board for 
Zet did a thing. It caused a coup. We've got this idiot plan for jerks. Like during that, I was like, okay, sure. This is fine. The last episode was an idiot plan for jerks and it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sitting there and the problem is I... I don't remember if I've seen this one before or not, but I knew what was coming Mm -hmm. because this episode is that infamous. So, like, I know I'm on board right now, but I know I'm going to not be soon. So, like, that was when I was on board for that brief window of, like, Zek shows up through Let's Put Tits on Quark. Mm. Because it was the kind of Ferengi nonsense I enjoy. Silly plans, Zek, poor, poor Nog who, like, you, you gotta feel like whenever he gets pulled into Ferengi. Rom? No, no, Nog. Where's Nog in this? Nog oh, is there. there. He was running errands, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. Like, you feel like he's trying to be like Mr. Starfleet now, get some dignity, and then every time Ferengi bullshit happens, he gets dragged into it, and he's like, ugh. Yeah, he was doing, like, they were doing, like, campaign calls. Yeah, yeah, oh, cold in calling. A, in, a, in a terribly boring montage scene. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Though, uh, what was it that he said? He said, well, it actually says that females and, and finances Finances. don't mix. And I said, well, you know, that could be true. Maybe that just speaks, you know, against office romance. Yeah, because he said, yeah, it could be interpreted in many ways. I did like that line. Like, that's the the pain of, like, the the progressive religious person, like, trying to wring gender equality out of old texts. Yeah. Nog has uh, grown. Oh, yeah. Nog's great. That's what it is, Jake. That's what you were thinking of when you said Ferengi episodes were your favorite. You actually just really like Nog's arc. Oh, and I love Nog's arc. Yeah, that might be more... Yeah, I don't know. No, man. I think like, you just love no Magnificent Ferengi, right? Yeah. I, I do. I like that episode. But that's really what it comes down to is like Nog, you don't think of necessarily his episodes as being Ferengi episodes because they're not the wacky ones. But when there's, you know, I think if you consider his episodes Ferengi episodes as well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but definitely. This, though, is a Ferengi episode. This is terrible. No, it's awful. It is abysmal. Yeah. So you brought up Some Like It Hot a second ago, which is more successful than this episode in let me count the ways um first <laughs> not to mention 50 years earlier yeah or something. i mean yeah so it has it has the benefit of being 50 years earlier when tastes are a little bit more whatever they want and also like the jokes in some like it hot weren't men trying to be women therefore it's funny it was the circumstances they found themselves in that were funny yeah the two, the two male characters, the names I've already forgotten, although there's another Trek connection, because Grace Lee Whitney was in that movie, and she was Yeoman Rand. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. When was she in that? I don't know. Because that's like the 50s, right? I also don't know. Yeah, so the two, the two male characters who dress as women to, you know, run away from the law, they, they find themselves in these scenarios, and they're never really acting like... They, they never, they don't like feminize. They don't do silly like girl things. They don't cry randomly. They're, they're just kind of their own character. They're just still their characters. They're still people. And I think that's where like Quark is trying to be this female thing, but he's known lots of female things. And the female personality that he's adopted is like no other females we have seen. No, it's, yes. it's, it's, it, this is what Al Bundy thinks women are. I was getting major like Willem Dafoe and the Boondock Saints vibes, so wonder if Quark saw that classic piece of human cinema. That was a more dignified sequence than this whole episode. Had that movie come out by this time? By 99? By 98? 
98? I don't think so. I don't know. I, think I know. Like, I think it was early 2000s, but Quark lives in the 24th century, oh, that's doesn't true. he? That's a good point. Well, I know Armin yeah, Shimmerman like, specifically re- like watched uh, Some Like It Hot and Tootsie. I've not seen Tootsie. Have any of you seen Tootsie? No, no I, I hear it's really problematic. Ago. Oh, tell us about it, Carl. Tell us. It's it's probably problematic now. I think the best thing about it, and the thing that a lot of women in the '80s liked about it, was that it does it does take the things that women go through in the business world seriously, even if it's a comedy. Hmm. And it's kind of you know, Dustin Hoffman is is somewhat of a creep, but he it, it is written so that. Like the, the like, there's some slapstick that's much better than this, and it's more focused on the <laughs> social. It wouldn't be hard to be better than this, but I know. it's <laughs> it's uh it's it's focused on like the social stuff that you have to do when you are a woman performing femininity in the business world, and it's you know it's not it's very eighties, but it you know you can see them sort of trying to at least walk in somebody else's shoes. Which is what this should have been and ostensibly was supposed to be. But no. Can I, you know, I know you, uh, one thing I like about Memory Alpha in mm. uh, Deep Space Nine is that you can usually more often than not find quotes from Iris Stephen Bear oh, yeah. shitting, <laughs> shitting on the episode. Like, he, it's like he hates everything. <laughs> Did you see the one Ames about like, you know, we have to be careful when we're doing this, he says, because it's very difficult to get people on board with stuff like this. Because, you know, episodes like this tend to go too far or go too broad or lose the reality or they're not comfortable with the content. And if any of those things happen, this show won't work. Hmm. Guess what, Ira? Every <laughs> single one of the things you listed. The best, the best quote I saw was when they were they were in pre-prod and they sent uh, the script to Michael Piller and the comment he wrote back was, this is going to be a classic. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it is well, remembered. It is a classic. Infamous, yeah. I wonder I, uh, if it re- read better on the page somehow. Maybe. I'm sure it did. It couldn't have read worse. Here's I the mean, thing about this episode. They were going for like strong farce. They were, they were going for like jokes, jokes, jokes. Everything's like going to be funny and Director Alexander Siddick comes in and wants it to be serious. So I'm he sorry. Tried- Did you say Bashir yeah. directed this yep. trash? Yeah. The poor man. Bashir. The poor thing. I don't blame the poor, him. Poor the thing. thing. I do. You can't he, he play this serious. He's trying well, to play thing. it like, seriously. Yeah, if he tried to play it straight. Like it, maybe if it had been played more for farce, it would have worked better oh. because it would have made the joke. Yeah quark and not what it and not women and not oh yeah, and not women, women women don't oh women are so women silly. are like this <laughs> well oh. here's the thing about that from what i what i was thinking I, I think it's always a mistake when tv shows say we should play this like a farce because hmm. i i don't really think we know how to do farce on tv anymore and i, I really think it goes back to the writing to an extent because you know we we do more like three-dimensional psychologically aware type characters i don't know i can't think of a good farce on television now or in the oh, yeah. 90s Fair. and like i mean the things i think definitely that tension makes it worse you know it's not it's not funny to just say acting grand nagus all the time you know it's not funny to just to you know everything seems, feels like it's a half step too slow I think. And I think that's the script as much as like that Mookie scene, that Mookie Quark scene, like that really feels like a dramatic scene to me. I, I don't know what that looks like funny. 
Do you know what I mean? This yeah. was it funny. Oh, the scene where he kills her? Yeah. <laughs> this this was the version that was funny because they had to do that scene in two like twice because the first time was too serious, was too right. like had like dark undertones and I don't know if like the the heart attack moment was actually like, "Oh my god, there's something wrong with her" instead of she just kills over and 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 like does a very like silly plank fall out of camera, which is the funny way to do that. Right. But it's it's also like it goes to such problems with the writing that they just say, no, you, this scene, which reads dr- sort of dramatically with a few, maybe a few laughs, you're, you need to direct it more funny. You know, funny, like make them all, give them big movements and make Quark say, ah, what? Instead of something grounded, like, you know, make, make them, you know, funny. That's what funny is. Then bring in the clown music. <laughs> See, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> I okay. Do you know why I think that scene failed? Hmm. Because unless she was gonna call him a grub worm or whatever tube grub, I don't know what the fuck she was trying to get at, and that's why I was just like, just tell me what it is. I want to know what it is. Please spit it out because I would like to know what you're going to call him. Yeah. Like I feel like if there was an obvious answer, it would have been funnier because then like the audience was like, oh, she's gonna do it. She's gonna drop it on him. But I just feel like. I didn't feel like I we're, knew what she was even going to call him. We're yeah. not. It's like it's an inside joke we're not involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Like she called him a twat when he was a kid. And that's what she was going to do again, because like she swore never she would never talk to him like that again. And that's the backstory that we don't know. And so it's I don't know. It just it, it failed. Well, here's here's the backstory that I do know of, of, of this episode. And that's that they were kicking around ideas because they wanted to do some more women's rights on Ferenganar, bring in Ishka and Zek and all our good friends and do a thing. And... I guess there was going to be like the women's movement. And Renee Echeverria says, in that meeting, I just, you know, dropped out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, I, I bet you somewhere in this episode, we get Quark and ramen dresses. And that was it. That's all he said in the whole meeting. And then they moved on to talking about other episodes of other things. And then later, Ira comes to him and says, we're, do- we're going to do it. And he's like, <laughs> Rom and Quark in dresses? And he's like, no, just Quark. Only Quark will be in dresses. And honestly, if they had gone Rom and Quark in dresses made a, a some like it hot thing i could probably i'd probably still hate it obvi- honestly but i wouldn't be like honestly offended by it yeah so i wrote a better episode yes do it awesome step one do you have a script drop that opening scene oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah no doubt. gonzo gonzo then we pretty much pick up where the episode does rom's all freaked out i can't get in touch with anybody they run to ops and they're like ah frankenar's been invaded and Cisco's like, ha, you're idiots. And then leaves. <laughs> and we never see him again for the rest of this episode. I oh, get yeah, the one right. Cisco line. I said that. I was like, oh, that was his one line. Ha ha. And then we never saw him again. And I was like, Zek oh. shows up with Moogie. Good news, bad news. <laughs> Close. Coup. Whoops. Acting Nagus Brunt. <sighs> but then instead of the like, what happens? They go and they find Pell. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and Quark I said that too. To, like, Quark has to like beg her to come and help with this argument. Love they could have my fair ladyed it instead of some likes it hot it. And it could have been with Pell and Rom could have still taught her how to walk. Well, not even that. Just like she comes back and is well, like, no. I'm that person that Zek thought was pretty cool for a while. Hi, Zek. How you doing? What do you think of me now that you've been converted by your uh, fuck buddy there? And you'd be like, oh, yes, I forgot about you. Your well, bosoms like, aren't big like, enough. 
for Caitlin's, me. But... Caitlin's idea because it could be a rever- It could be. It could still be a My Fair Lady, but. Pell has been masquerading as a man for so long mm. that she has to relearn all of the the ladylike mm. things, or else Sluggo wouldn't believe. That, That's the that thing she about ladylike things. Okay, oh so my we've God. seen. No, sorry, go ahead, Ames. Okay, we've seen two Ferengi females, and granted, they're not very typical Ferengi females mm. because Ishka A is five hundred years old <clears throat> and you know strong headed as hell and wears clothes. And Pell is strong-headed as fuck, younger than Ishka, obviously, and wears clothes. So it's like, okay, we've seen them, but they both know how to fucking walk? Why do we need to teach them how to walk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think... One of the... I think possibly the thing that made this put this over the edge into this is just offensive is that not only was quark dressed and surgically altered to look like a female he apparently also had like hrt because they kept making a point about how he was like oh i'm so emotional now and it's like what what yeah what what is going on two times in this episode i literally put down my notes stood uh, and was like ready to like walk away and i was like wait a minute i'm still watching this episode for the fucking show i can't just walk away and i think a lot of this was probably horrendous even then you know like oh yeah not just from a 2021 perspective like this was Hmm. dated tired bullshit in 1998 you know, I kept thinking about it and I'm like, why does this fail where I can't remember the episode title, but there's an episode of Futurama where Bender enters the Olympics as a woman, except he isn't. And then actually, like, after winning, has the professor um, reconstruct him as one. And it's sort of the same episode with, like, a misogynist acting out a woman, except the whole time Amy and Leela are there being like, oh, my God, fuck you, which I think is part of the reason it works better, because <laughs> the episode is actively acknowledging you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Well, the only woman we had in this episode was Lita, yes. who was not helping. No. Yeah, and who was, like, who was participating in the bullshit. And then Mookie congratulates him for his great work at the end. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we've got Lita who is participating and Mookie who couldn't be prouder. Like, really, really, I just needed Dax to walk in, do a giant eye roll and walk out. Well, you just you needed a scene where Dax and (laughs) Kira are there and go, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Couldn't say fuck on track back then. True. Yeah, I think I think they needed to to not make this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that really I mean, that's the real solution. I, I, I don't know. By George, I think he's got it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess what's what's aggravating about this, in addition to all of that and even more, you know, we we needed, I mean, I think you're, you're correct, Jake, in that they did a good job over the series making the Ferengi uh, human and three-dimensional. But that job is incomplete as long as this bullshit about women being unable to wear clothes stands. You know, we needed this this feminist movement and this societal change. Yeah, and that's and actually just, an interesting pro- plot yes. line to follow. 
Yeah. But it's just choked off by... I mean, the scene where they unveil Quark's new look, I mean, that scene has more misogyny per minute than most (laughs) misogynist movies from the 40s and 30s or wherever. Like, it might be the most misogynistic thing I could imagine. And, you know, there's no reason for him to have hormones. I don't know. I, I guess... I guess I guess I'll pivot. The worst thing this ep does, to my point of view, is it sidelines Moogie at a moment that should be her triumph. Yeah. True. If anyone, yeah. if anyone is going to teach Quark about what women have to go through, it should be Moogie. If any, I don't know how you how you do it, but like you know, if you. If Moogie gives the lessons, maybe she can't meet with uh, Nilva for whatever reason, so Quark has to sub in. I don't know, but like she has to give the lessons. And there's some. I I I guess I guess I'll say I really like Nilva in this movie, played by Henry Gibson. Like that's a guy who can do farce. But you know, the tension is supposed to be like Quark learns, and in that conversation, he does a certain amount of like leaning in or like. You know, this stuff that Moogie has presumably been doing for 50 years without Quark even knowing what a, what a, what a burden that is. It would be nice to have her there, maybe enlightening her son. Yeah, I'd I love like those that... lessons to be not just how to sit like a woman, but yeah. also some of the arguments that she intends to make. Because yeah. the one we hear exactly. of, you know, women want to, like, if, you, if women wear clothes, then they have to buy clothes, then you make money. Fucking easy. A plus B mm-hmm. equals C. God damn it, Ferenginar. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a really interesting scene. And it also gives power to fucking Ishka. Yes. That this is something that she's been triumphing this whole time. And there is something, you know, that I think they're overlooking here is that, is that the Ferengi are already ahead of Earth women in one important way. If women have clothes... Women have pockets. I if want they them have pockets. pockets. They want mm. platinum in them. And I'm like, wow, Ferengi That's women true. get pockets already? They just got clothes and they're already <laughs> getting pockets. Well, it's because That's- there's no... There's Ugh. no there's no female fashion designers on Ferenginar, True. so they're just they're just adapting the the clothes that they make for men. Ah, yeah. and everybody gets yeah. pockets. And here, yeah, like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And they mentioned you know Ferengi, you know Ferenginar, like women are 53 percent of the population. There's 53 percent of your population that can't consume directly. Like, yeah. come on, guys, participate it's, in the economy. Yeah, it's like it's obvious. Well, I also think though that like one thing that this episode, uh, you know, this is this is probably among its many sins, one of its lesser sins. But I, I still think it's worth mentioning that this episode isn't really about fighting for the rights of Ferengi women. It's about fighting for Zek's job. Also, true. Like, also like true. that's really mm-hmm. the like the the reason this is a crisis is because Zek lost his job and yes he lost it because of trying to give women rights but if the, w- not for that you know this this whole thing wouldn't have happened but at the same time it's like it's like it. we're here to to glorify Zek right well, and you have to imagine that so much of it I know that he says like that he's been convinced but like how much of it is like. Uh, classic Clytemnestra type stuff where he what's good for the goose is good for the gander etc you know what I mean yeah I kind of yeah like even they should have thrown in a line about like Brunt being more willing to maybe talk to the Dominion or something I mean I feel like he would be he's awful someone explained this plan the plan is they're going to try to get all the well the commissioners or whatever they're called on for on Ferenginar only one of them responds because he's good friends with Zek. So they kind of convince Nilva 
okay, yeah, this is probably a good idea, let's reinstate Zack. But now it's just Nilva against 399 other commissioners. Presumably yeah. Nilva... Does, does think, it work? I think we are meant to believe that Nilva has the goods on those 399 other commissioners and can bribe his way into restoring... It's uh, a lot the, of sluggo cola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's It might make sense in a farce. Yeah. It's kind of dumb. I don't know. Is it also possible that because of the popularity of his product he has like the equivalent of a huge number of like shares sort of in the government maybe sure. that's like, true he has yeah. he has 51 percent of government shares and so the others they don't even need the others as long as he you know what i mean like is it yeah, possible i can imagine like that? on Ferenginar, even if there are you know x number of commissioners it's not each one, each one's vote isn't equal. The yeah. ones with more profit are the ones that are uh, actually running things. Yeah, and apparently Sluggo Cola and Ilvasser. Which, how did German get to Ferenginar? <laughs> by the way, it's the Universal Translator fucking with you again. Uh I also like it's so stupid. It's like, oh, Slimy is calling. Yeah, it's not, not going to appeal to women. It'll appeal to Ferengi women, <laughs> right? It, your but, whole planet's yeah. just a, a fucking swamp. Yeah, that's. I thought that was a really bad idea from Quark. But in a better episode, it, it could have been like a comment on how, like, even in one, if one form of sexism sheds, another one. Like, I felt that was the equivalent of like on Earth. The device would be: you should make Slogo Cola pink, and then women yeah. will buy it. Hmm. Like, but in yeah. a better episode, they could have commented on stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Slap for men on that Sl Dove lotion. <laughs> Slucko cola <laughs> for her. Oh. So, Nilva, you mentioned, uh, what's his name again, Carl? Henry Gibson. Yeah, because I was sitting there, I was like, I feel like I would know this guy mm -hmm. without, uh, without the makeup. So I looked him up and first found out that he was the voice of Wilbur in Charlotte's Web. Hmm. But then found out he's, you know, a big character actor, he's in a thousand things, but I know him best as the, uh, Head of the Illinois Nazis in the Blues Brothers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he's that like old Hollywood guy. He's like one of those it guys, right? Or like, yeah, he was in Rowan and Martin's Laughing back in the day. Right. Like, Figures. he was basically. If you look him up, he had a guest spot in pretty much every sitcom from nineteen like fifty nine to nineteen seventy five. Uh, That's and why he's still, good at this. Nice. Yeah, and then still kept working right up to the end. Although, as you know, as he. As he got older, it was more voice work than live action stuff. But And then we shove him under a bunch of Ferengi makeup. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame because I feel like in a better episode, I mean, like, he was doing the best he could with what he was given. It would have been nice to see him in a better episode because I think he was yeah. a good Ferengi. Yeah. Come back. I don't know. He's no Lek. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> no one. No one is Lek. All right. The, the one, like, shimmering moment of this episode, which I freaking loved, was we had like a whatever the fuck Mayhardu's species is. Oh, off, yes. Because there were two of them running around. Uh, yeah. The other one, I think his name was uh, Uralash, Uralash, mm -hmm. uh, who was Brett's servant. And the two of them like look at each other like, mm, mm. And <laughs> yeah, like, every, I love yeah. this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every time they were in a room together, they were just glaring. And yes, that I fucking loved. Just the fact that they were immediately just like, oh, I hate you. You're with the wrong one. <laughs> now, do we think it is customary for like high-ranking Ferengi to have uh, a Mayhardu 
manservant or is is Brunt just trying to emulate what Zek does? Oh, I like that. I like that idea. All mm. I know is he's going to look like a damn fool if he may hard don't have a manservant. <laughs> but what's what's going to be interesting, though, is right, because didn't they say that that species by like is bound to their, you know, whoever they're serving their boss. for their boss? Is it, wasn't there a thing like that when? Right, because that's why when Zek when... faked his death. Um, yeah, I don't remember what it was exactly, but yeah, there was some kind of binding thing. So I wonder if, you know, now that presumably Brunt has just gone back to being, you know, Brunt FCA, I guess, if um, if, if he's just going to have this dude following him around all the time. Yeah, it's almost like he preemptively spent some lottery money that now he's not getting. And now it's just like, oh, this is weird. His sad little apartment for one. That's a thing they start to touch on, but don't, again, because it's a bad episode, actually follow up with. Is like, Ishka talks about how Zek was a sad, lonely man. But he's rich, says Quark. Quark, you know, post-meeting with Nilva is like, so lonely. Like, it's a broken society because of its inequality. And that would have been interesting to follow up on, you know, mm. yeah. how many Ferengi men are actually sad and broken and would be so much happier if their society was more equal. Yeah. Speaking of here's, here's a great quote from Shimmerman when asked about this episode, because I think more, more, the thing that he hated the most of it was the, the lack of anything that comes out of it. And the thing, the quote is, I didn't mind Quark's sex change. I minded that nothing came of it. Mm. So we yeah. see we see no effects. We see he goes right back to being a misogynist. We see I don't know if we see exactly. any change on Ferenginar, but we see like they have fucking problems for sure. Yeah. And this is why I feel like this episode is several kinds of the worst thing I've ever seen, because like <laughs> they went out of their way to destroy possible redeeming qualities of yeah. this system. Like, if, if this were a farce where people, you know, you're know, you supposed to learn stuff in Star Trek. It's built in. And I, I just, it's just so baffling to me. Like, it's it's complete, you know, you watch that scene, that Pepe Le Pew scene, and you just wonder, like, how did they get this on the air? I mean, we have been told that they can't talk about sex in any, uh, any non-traditional way in the 90s because you have affiliate pushback and whatever. But they can get this on. You know, they can get Quark flashing a guy. It's just completely baffling to me. Yeah. I, because I'm sure the very old men who ran the affiliates thought it was hysterical. Sure, yeah. I mean, They're sitting there laughing their asses off. I mean, I don't think I don't think Bugs Bunny ever flashes anybody in the cartoons or, or Pepe Le Pew. And it's... it's once. I mean, oh, once? What? Okay. There's one time. There's always where, one time, I guess. Where Bugs, <laughs> like, Elmer thinks he shot Bugs. He's laid there. He's got his hands crossed over his chest. Elmer pulls his hands apart, and there's a bra there. And Bugs screams, slaps him, and runs away. Is that true? Yes, hand to God. I don't remember that, but. I watched a lot of Looney Tunes. Oh, as a I kid. did too. I just don't remember that. I have a memory for useless shit. <laughs> That's true. That's what helped Bugs Bunny. Yeah. yeah. Just bring him in. I think he's a more, you know. Well, certainly his cross-dressing was always more respectful. 
Yeah. Yeah. I could have learned a thing <laughs> or two from Bugs about respectful cross dressing. Yeah, bring bring Bugs in to, to teach Quark. God. The are my hips too big line cringe. Uh, Extra uh, cringe. Oh god, when Zach was like feeling up his leg. Oh, like, you that, make a yeah. you quark, you make a very attractive female. Why do I sound like Gilbert Gottfried with a head cold? <laughs> oh my god, how has he <laughs> never been a Ferengi? Oh, oh god, god. great idea. No, no, no. A terrible I, idea, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't like uh Wallace Shawn as the grand Nagus. I I like him in most movies, but in this role it's just it's just too far up. I, I agree know. with that, but I also have been done with Wallace Shawn for a while now. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, but also yeah, it's it's incredibly it's incredibly cartoonish. In this episode, he was almost a non-presence. Like he was mm-hmm. just the as as Chris said. Like we're trying to get Zek reinstated. Zek does almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Why are we working for him? He's a loser. It, He's it's not well, helping himself. It's Look. less that we're helping Zek. It's that if Brunt winds up Grand Nagus, we're fucked. Because yeah. he and hates the quarks. That's true. And women. And Zek. Sorry. Oh, that's it. Uh, and Zek has put himself on the line at this point, though. He has he has abolished the no clothes rule. You know, I mean, Moogie has has sort of politically they've they've joined up. So I think I think you it's the kind of thing of like the devil, you know, you know, protecting the, the devil, you know. Yeah. But it's. And again, it's like, they, they, they know Brunt and they know Brunt has a vendetta against them. Yeah. They are, aside from Quark, and even he slips up, they are a family of bad Ferengi from Ferengi perspective. You know, the mother's a feminist. Rom started a fucking union. Rom's right. son joined Starfleet. Like, right. Brunt looks at them and sees everything wrong with his society or everything that stands against what he feels his society stands for. Yeah, I kind of wish we saw more of, like, how Quark has been growing an awful lot over the seasons. T- because you see the, the the inner turmoil in him and that he loves Ferengi stuff. He loves yeah. the whole idea of of capitalism and making profit and all the stuff Ferengi value. But he also lives among non-Ferengi and understands their values, even if he doesn't value them maybe necessarily himself. But he, you know, he's friends with Dax. He's friends with Kira or, you know, he's friends at Kira and Kira allows it. (laughs) (laughs) Friends at Kira. I mean, he's friends with Odo and all these, all this thing. Well, when he was at his lowest, they like came together and helped him. You know, it's he can't help but be affected. Yeah, and I want to see. I want him to see the, fir- the the flaws in Ferengi society. Like, so he's he's here fighting for women's rights, even though the scene where Zek and Ishka come off of their their shuttle pod, he's specifically there. Like, that's a bad idea. Why did you do that? We, so what? He's he only changed his mind to get Zek involved. I want to see what Quark actually thinks. Yeah, yeah. Quark, Quark. You know, I think some of it comes down to, not that we ever see this, but they talked about it in, I think, Ishka's first episode. I think there's a lot of hang-up with him, knowing that his father was kind of like a semi-failure, that he needs to be better. Like, because I feel like even if he kind of ignored it, he always sort of knew to an extent, like, other people were clearly more successful than his old man. And I think there's this, rather than taking the right lesson from it, he was like, I'll double down, but that's why there's this bizarre, mixed up, you know? 
And right. even then, we find out, what was it, during the uh, occupation, he didn't upcharge... <laughs> The Bajorans. The Bajorans, like, he just gave them stuff for cause. So there's always been that aspect of him that is not Ferengi. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's that family. They are, they are bad Ferengi. Yeah, Cork is a people person. Yeah. And in Ferengi, that's that's not allowed. Oh, he's no, a that's barman. A Bar, like, I, I think he is the perfect barman because he actually does listen to what other people have to say. Like, he... He gets it when, you know, someone comes into the bar and you know, wants to chat about stuff. Like, he, he's had a lot of experiences with a lot of different cultures. You could even say maybe it started out more mercenary. He's like, well, yeah, of course I'm going to listen because you never know what you're going to pick up. Yeah. But at some point, he just started genuinely listening, even if he doesn't realize it necessarily. You can't not with those ears. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Now, this is, this is sort of why, to Caitlin's point, this is why I said I, I feel bad for Alexander Siddig a bit, because, you know, these are, these are good, serious issues, and th they are dressed in a farce that does not even try to give them the weight that they deserve. And, like, you know, for, first up, you don't get a choice when you're a TV director of what, what script you get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But... Both him and Shimmerman said, you know, this has dramatic elements to it, which we are always thinking about as actors. And it just, it just, the script wasn't, wasn't there for them. Although I do like the one, I noticed the one scene that Alexander Siddig is in, he's in a bathrobe. And I feel like he, he was like, all right, I'll, I'll direct this piece of shit for you. But I'm, when I'm on stage, I'm not getting out of my bathrobe. Was you know, that, I feel like was we've that all his weird there. surgical scrub yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bizarre red. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't see a lot of the other Federation folk at all. No. That's usually the case with Ferengi episodes. So I'd just like to, to time check us. We're coming up on an hour. That's of true. We've had a lot race. to say. Right. All right. Well, up next, <laughs> Time's Orphan. So in Time's Orphan, the O'Briens, first of all, they're, they're back and they go on a picnic and Molly falls through a time portal. Whoops. And... They find out that she's gone 300 years back in the past and it's before anybody ever got there. So the land is completely like untamed, if you will. But no problem. Like they're going to fix it real quick. They're they're literally within hours. They're able to reopen this portal thing that she fell through and they're able to get her back. But the Molly that comes back through is a full grown Molly, like an 18 year old Molly and not a seven year old Molly or however old she's meant to be. And on top of no longer being a seven-year-old Molly. She doesn't seem to be doing a lot of the talking or the standing upright, which makes no fucking sense. And uh, she seems to be doing a lot of running, jumping, climbing and sleeping in trees, grunting, groaning, screaming, and otherwise being altogether undignified and rather savage. <laughs> um, the O'Briens take her home. They try really hard to reintegrate her. They play ball with her and shit. They give her back her favorite doll. And they try really hard to sort of reacclimate her back to being people, but she really wants to go home and they have to sort of deal with the fact that their home is not her home anymore. She's spent more than half of her life in, you know, this other place. And even though it passed for them in seconds for her, it was real and it took years. And so they have to uh, actually they're really forced to make a hard decision because she, uh, panics and knifes a guy in Quark's bar and they want to send her to some institution to like 
you know, study her and reintegrate her and stuff. But what it's really more likely is that she's just going to get thrown into probably like a padded room or something. So the O'Briens decide that they will help her escape. They do get caught, but Odo's like, go on. I know what you're up to. Just go do it. Um, Weird guy, they, Odo. <laughs> I know. It was so weird. And uh, they do. They they bring her back and uh, they bring her back to the, the cave and they fire up the old time portal. And they're like, here you go. You know, we'll, oh, we're never going to see her again. And it's really sad. But then they accidentally send her back to the exact moment when little Molly went through the portal. And so big grown up Molly recognizes her younger self and is like, your home is back there. But she says, like, you know, Molly, home, mommy, daddy, there, whatever. And little Molly's like, fuck yeah, and takes off. And that's really good because Caitlin was having lots of emotions about Molly being lost I was very upset by this episode. Really? Uh, Shit. I was just upset she came back at the end. Oh, dude, no, I was <laughs> crying. There were several parts that, like, really got me with this episode. Wow. Yeah, I was I think... mostly angry that she was she remained at the end. <laughs> no, I was... There were just a lot of... We'll get into it, I'm sure. But yeah, so little Molly comes home safe and sound, and the once-morning O'Briens are reunited with their young daughter and very, very happy. The B plot is that Worf is a bad father and uh, <laughs> also is afraid that he might be a bad babysitter. So he goes out of his way to prove that he's a great babysitter by taking care of the second O'Brien child, Yoshi, Kira Yoshi, who they call Yoshi. That's a nickname. In case you didn't know, it's also a little green dinosaur from Mario. This child is not that. This is just a baby. A very, really cute, very happy baby, which was nice. Got a pudgy head. Fucking Worf. He's an O'Brien, theoretically. That's true. And uh, Worf drops him on his face and is really (laughs) ashamed and upset because he's like, Jadzia, I can tell that you are judging me on my ability to father your children. And I know you have found me lacking. And Jadzia is like, okay, that's that's true. (laughs) You've met Alexander. Yeah, and he actually mentions Al. He's like, I raised Alexander. No, you did and not. And we're both like, no, you didn't. And then Jadzia is like, no, you didn't. Thank you. You, didn't, you, him off you, on didn't, your you didn't even know he existed until he was like either four or 15. We're not really sure. The time was weird. To his credit, he then later admits he failed Alexander. Good. At least he knows. Yeah. He should know. There was a whole fucking episode about it. Yeah. Multiple. Uh, Many. But, but one in particular where <laughs> yes. he really had to face it head on and but really have... every time alexander was on screen it was a reminder of what a failure wharf was at raising him well certainly for us anyway yeah. speaking um, of alexander this was originally written to be an alexander episode what? because the writer during tng times fucking hated alexander and wanted to write him out of the show so he, just, like, he came up with just this like idea. everyone else then. Yeah, he came up with this idea that, okay, if Alexander goes, you know, into this time thing, he comes back out, hates everybody because now he's older and we just send him away, we can get rid of him. But they didn't do that because Alexander was Michael Pillar's mother's favorite character. Oh, well, boy. Michael Pillar's mother is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, they already had an old Alexander episode. That's true. Yeah. We need a second one. When I like adult Alexander, he's... He's, yeah, he's, he's owned and, it. And murderous. And he'll throw down and tell you that you failed him as a dad, which yeah. Worf really needed. And then so. he'll trip yes. over his own shoelaces like a loser. 
Yeah, but that means he's good luck around the ship, so they keep him around like the little token loser he is. Speaking of luck, I think this episode disproves a popular theory. <gasps> I think Molly is definitely O'Brien's kid. Because she's got the luck of the Irish. Because she suffers? <laughs> yep. Because but she has a big round head? <laughs> because she suffers horribly, but because she's not 100% O'Brien, that's why it gets to get wiped at the end. Right. It gets but wiped no, at she... the end. It got wiped at the end because uh, Ira Bear and Hans Baimler are both fathers and wouldn't allow it otherwise. Yeah, I was gonna say it's because they're oh god, they actually fucking cons... cowards. They should wait, have wait, left they... it that way. They were actually gonna have her just go back. I don't know, but basically, as this episode was, as the ideas, well, I, because Alexander would have gone away, right, right. So I guess the idea would have was was you know Baimler and Bear both said, "You don't know what it's like to have a kid. We cannot." watch this if you're going to get rid of the kid. The kid has to come back at the end. Yeah, I didn't know I'm... this show was meant to only serve these two fucking people. Fuck them. True. I think they would have, yeah. I think they should have nutted up and just not had her come back. Not because I don't like little Molly, but because it was such a kick in the balls. The O'Briens never have we ever seen. I mean, we've gotten some good, I know like, you know, whatever. We shit on Keiko a lot in this show, and I kind of regret it because I think that she's come a long way. I've shit on yes. the writing of Keiko in this show. Well, that's, that's how true. I'm going to say. But they they have served the character of Keiko entirely oh, very poorly. poorly. I agree with that. But lately, I feel like in Deep Space Nine, we get a better Keiko. And along with that better Keiko, we've gotten better O'Brien chemistry and never have we seen better O'Brien chemistry than watching O'Brien holding his grieving wife, realizing they have to let their kid go. And that's why I think this episode really punched me is because it just felt like it was palpable. You could feel that grief. It was like, I don't know. It was just really good. I, don't I just know. thought Agreed. it was fantastic. Agreed. I think I, 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 I take a little issue though with the fact that the O'Brien's solution to their child in distress is to put the child out on a hill, essentially, right? Like, like they don't, they don't even, they don't try very hard, I guess. Before they really they're like, they're like oh, I guess we'll just give up and condemn her to to live the rest of her days. Alone, which and won't frightened. be many because she's living be in the wild. Well, the thing is, their hand is being forced, isn't it? Yeah, like you is saw it? how Starfleet treat treated the the um Bashir's the other angels. What Bashir's angels? Yeah, how they treated Bashir's angels. They would probably treat her even worse. Well, oh, the yeah. thing is, though, like they though so Bashir's angels were genetically modified people who there there was like no treatment really for them right aside from i don't know if you can undo genetic modification but i think the idea is that Apparently they not. are the way they are and the only treatment is going to be to just try to socialize them better whereas molly you know like she could potentially be treated if a professional you know the the only there was no i mean bashir maybe talked to her a little bit but there was no other professional help it looked like you know it was just oh you know we'll play ball with her we, you know we're not trained professionals yeah, that know is, how to deal but with she, people but who she have was experienced so distressed trauma. it, it would have been hard to get through to her here's the thing i'm sure it would have been but the, at the same time you don't put your kid in the fucking hole because well, you, it's hard 
you do if the other option is that they're going to throw her in some fucking institution or charge her with attempted murder. Here's the fucking thing. Okay. O'Brien and Keiko are not psychologists. True. Why are they the only ones doing a fucking thing? This is the same problem I had last week when suddenly it was Dax's job to do Bajoran archaeology. It's suddenly Bashir basically just says, oh, you have a feral child. Good luck. Here's a here's a room (laughs) with a tree in it. Go play ball. No, nowhere do we learn anything that anyone is doing any work with her. Yeah. What happened to that therapist that was, you know, supposedly helping O'Brien when he got out of memory jail? Dead in the war. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm going with that guy met with O'Brien two times and then decided to change careers. Or Wait, put his was, head in an oven. <laughs> who was the guy who, quote unquote, fixed Ducat and we learned he did not fix Ducat? <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah, guy got fired. I wouldn't trust Molly with with Starfleet professionals because what have we seen so far? Let's mm-hmm. let's just go back. Troy. T- no, no, I'm going all the way back. Oh. I'm going to TOS where they've decided psychology Dr. is Bar- shooting people with rays. Oh, I thought you meant Dr. Bartender. No, he was the only good psychologist we've ever seen in Star Trek. Oh, well. <laughs> but there was that like there was that madhouse where they would just put people in a chair. Oh, God, yeah, dagger the mind. zap their brains until they weren't crazy anymore. Sounds like a lobotomy to me. Uh, Troy, what? <laughs> O'Brien's shrink, useless. Ducat's shrink, useless. I think by the 24th century, they have completely forgotten how psychoanalysis works. I think just- Daner was okay, but Daner got ESP'd. True. Like, they just throw technology at the problem, and if that doesn't fix it, they throw their hands in the air and say, we've tried everything. So let's put the child into the wilderness to die. Yep, let her get eaten by some bears. Like, they would, like, be like, you know what, she's happy enough in this holodeck, we'll just lock her in there for the rest of her life. Yeah, but you gotta rent it from Quark, and they can't afford it. Like, I just, I don't think, I also just don't think, I mean, we've talked about this, I don't think they care. I think there is a distinct lack of care in the Federation. You either match up with what we feel works or we just kind of lock you away. I don't see a ton of proof of that. I only see anecdotal evidence of that. So I think Molly is not at all safe with the O'Briens either is the thing. Yeah, and it wasn't the best idea, but I like I would rather she be in the hands of civilians than Starfleet. I would like someone to have at least told Keiko and and Miles what the treatment should be. I would that love to, yeah, because I think we don't see they don't they don't ever address what the actual issue is, and the issue being her getting reacclimated back to civilization or or society rather is a better term for it because she has you know not been vocal for ten years of her life, so she's lost yeah. speech, which is a thing. Yeah. Like the study of feral children. I think I think brought this up years and years ago with doing did, TOS yes. stuff. Oh, did we talk about it during like Miri or whatever? It was either Miri or Charlie X talking so about like children, who, children grow, who grow up outside of a society and how it's so fascinating, but it's so hard to study because there are so few cases that we know about. Perhaps in the future they know more because there Maybe. are, you know, different species that they can get in touch with who probably treat their children way more poorly. But, like, it is entirely fascinating to see Molly start to give, give like, person attributes to, like, trees and rocks. Mm. Uh, that was something Bashir brought up. He, Bashir never, never sees Molly again after that, but that's fine. <laughs> he only shoots her full of tranks. But, you know, to talk about what the actual treatment is, what her actual, like, state of mind is, 
is entirely lacking in this episode, and all you get to see is a girl, like, frolicking around a tree, which was bullshit. Mm. I think a lot of this is, I mean, it's, it is very hard to get the co- context for this. I think in part because this series was written by a generation that, for all their forward-lookingness, really did not trust therapy. And really yeah. felt that for all that they were just sort of friendly people who would whisk you away, girl interrupted style, if you did anything wrong. That is certainly how they set up the conflict here. Yeah. And I think it's it's sort of a false conflict to a degree, but it's it's certainly a, a TV friendly one. I at least think they did a good job of showing how if you had Molly for three or four years and then she was out in this planet for much longer than that, you could make you could make the argument that she has already like self determination has kicked in for her. And she definitely wants to go to the planet. I don't know how you square that with the therapy for feral, feral children, mm. but it's sort of, you know, the, the conflict they eventually get is kind of an end run around that question. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know about the self-determination question just because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess there is a question of, is this somebody who is make is capable of making those types of decisions for themselves based on her psychological state? You know, I don't know. And but yeah, I do. I do agree with though, like that whole girl interrupted idea of, you know, and, and that's something that this episode really leans into. And, it, and it's a little unfortunate, I think. And, you know, to Chris's point that Star Trek itself leans into is that therapy and mental health is shown in this episode and others as being, you know, like this, this medieval, horrible thing. I don't know. And I think it's really unfortunate that that Star Trek, at least at this time, is has such a regressive view of mental health care that that like like the oh she'll either be institutionalized oh my god well the 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 clearly the better alternative is to let her fend for herself in the wilderness because oh being in a being in a mental health institution is just oh god you know well these are the people that grew up on uh appropriately enough one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah <laughs> well no and i mean it's it's absolutely true and you know girl interrupted it is the same story basically just you know even in the same even though it's the film was made many years later it's basically about the same time period as cuckoo's nest yeah i mean the problem um, is that like the public image of institutionalization by that point was just one of deep institutional rot and corruption which was true but instead of yeah, trying and, to fix it, everyone just said, let's just shut it all down then. Well, right. But it, it also, it was like abuse, you yeah, know? Like that's what that, I mean, yeah. This is in the wake of horrible abuses. You know, the, a lot of them happened not far from where, where we live yep. uh, in Waltham at the Fernald School, where like there was horrible abuses and like unnecessary, like the eugenics experiments and shit happening there. Well, beyond the time when eugenics was even you know, a, a pseudoscientific thing. It was just, this was just what they were doing there. They were sterilizing people and performing unnecessary lobotomies on people and, you know, un, untested electroshock techniques. So it's like, yeah, there there is definitely a dark history around institutionalization in this country. But I, I feel, I think that Star Trek, by and large, has done a disservice to, you know, to... to correcting that or, you no know, you're like, very right there like if you know if we're looking to the future i would think that we should be looking to a future when having a mental health condition is not you know 
a stigmatizing thing and is also the treatment for which is not going to get you, you know, lobotomized or, you know, sterilized or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right there. And that's, yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. They, they, that's the one hang up even the writers of this couldn't get over. I don't even necessarily think they were talking about worrying about them lobotomizing her or something like that, though, or any of these, like, old school no 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 style but shenanigans just like that locking she, her in a padded cell and you know just kind of walking well, away but again it's not even just that it's it's the fact that she's obviously in like a lot of distress just by not being permitted to be back where she wanted even in familiar surroundings even with the only other people she knows in the world though i will say you know the ham-handed shutting down of the computer really quickly must have absolutely fucking oh yeah I mean, that was... Not a good idea. No, it was fucking awful, fucking O'Brien. But I don't know. And I think, again, I think it, it gets more it gets more complicated when it's like, oh, but she's also wanted for, like, attempted murder, basically. Like, I think that just adds another layer. And I agree that, like, yes, they don't do a great job with mental health. The one thing that I do think is kind of nice about Star Trek's view, though, of mental health and the fact that, like, Oftentimes doctors are like the doctors on the ships are the ones also administering to that makes me think that they actually find mental health to be just as important as physical health, which I think is the way the future should be. I still would want a specialist, though, like but, I wouldn't like, want that's my Troy PC- was supposed to be. Yeah, like I don't want failed. my PCP to also be my heart surgeon. So I don't want my PCP to also be my therapist. I totally get that. But the PCP is your primary care physician, which means if the system was working right and if the brain is like a big part of the overall care of your body was taken into that sort of consideration, they should be the first people. And yes, then they can bring specialists in as they do with every other field. But like right now, mental health from a, you know, from a primary care physician's standpoint is like, do you ever feel sad? You know, like, I just think that if you think of PCP or whatever as being someone who caters to your overall health, then their mental health should be considered. And in the perfect future, that would be the case. So you're saying your heart surgeon shouldn't also be your therapist because you'd like them to be. No, I'm saying I'm I'm feeling not. I'm sorry. This is. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying what I'm trying to fix what Chris was was saying so that the BCP should have a general knowledge of all forms of health and then specialists would have their specialists so that your heart surgeon isn't your therapist. Yeah. And that your PCP can be like your PCP should be able to recognize, hmm, there's something wrong with this guy's heart. I should probably refer him to a heart surgeon, which generally a PCP does. But and the same would be applied to like mental, mental health, health. Where, where like a PCP would have the diagnostic ability to, to at least make a call, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so bonkers, right? Like I was reading something recently that pointed out how fucking weird it is that we treat dental health as completely separate from the rest of the body. I've always thought that when it's like it's part of the body. When you have plaque buildup in your veins, they mean the same shit that's on your teeth. Like, and the fact that it's this very separated discipline actually makes no sense. Well, I, I the think other thing too, go ahead. Carl. But I was just gonna say with, with dentistry in particular, like so many, so many of the tools of the trade of dentistry are like 
straight out of medieval (laughs) barbarism. Like, it's just like, you know, it's pulling on teeth. It's grinding teeth. It's, you know, so I I feel like. Scraping with hooks. I feel Uh, like, yeah. Can can I offer the the suggestion that maybe they are so separate because health insurance people don't want to fucking have to worry about paying for that shit? Well, that's, I'm sure, a big part of it. Yeah. I also feel like a lot of doctors, like, would be like, hmm. This co- this somewhat violates the Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's definitely part of it now, but people are beginning to recognize that really these should be more... Again, you would still have dentists, but mm-hmm. like your dental history, we think about your dental records and your medical records are entirely separate. They should be combined. <laughs> the only people that care about your dental history are your dentist, yeah. the FBI, yes. if you're... Yeah. Uh, dead or thought to be chewing on your murder victims. Like, I don't think I've ever... Number of times I've had a doctor look in my mouth, they've never commented on my teeth, and I know they're not great, because my dentist says they're not great. So... Can I bring us back to feral children? Yes, yes. sorry. Hooray! Yes. Feral how children her, for everyone. How are her teeth so good? <laughs> That's a good fucking question. Maybe because she's been drinking Sluggo Cola. Oh. Or maybe because she hasn't been drinking Sluggo Cola more realistically. Uh, Thank you. But no, I read that because there's so little to research in feral children, one of the elements that the writers kind of, you know, in their asking researchers to play with this idea, which I'm kind of surprised they did because it didn't show, was comparing this to capture shock in dolphins in that Hmm. Molly's behavior in, in her getting captured was to get, you know, incredibly distressed, incredibly like fearful because and in, in the dolphin world if you capture a dolphin to bring it into captivity apparently half of them cannot stand being captive so they just die wow that makes sense yeah. they're super super fucking smart yeah that's that's terrific i think i want to praise the actress a little bit i don't this. oh no okay <laughs> uh, the, old, the older molly actress yeah I'll, I'll, i guess i guess i'll make my case and then yield i just think it's very hard for an actor to play a child and the sort of dialogue she gets is hard to do without sounding you're like in the blue lagoon or something <laughs> and i think i think you know her movements are very primal but they're not practiced. Like, I don't get the sense she's like a ballet or anything. Oh, I did. Uh, or a dance. Problem. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I saw it was way too graceful for me. Like, okay. like here's the, th- I, I look at Feral Molly in, in that, yes, the actress was kind of playing her like a child, but a feral child is not a child. A hmm. feral child is an animal. Right. Well, that's, that. I, I guess that's an interesting uh, question. I mean, I feel like she. they probably wrote her as a child to some degree, because that's how O'Brien, the O'Briens would have seen her. But may, maybe, you know, may, maybe it's a bad, I guess, I guess I like the O'Briens in this episode. And I like what the performance brings out of the O'Briens. Yeah, I like mm. them. But I think, you know, in terms of like, I know, like, Caitlin really loved the the end scene of them sending her away and the emotional charge of it. And yeah, I think, Colm and Rosalind did a lovely job with that, but I was so distracted because I didn't care for the older Molly so much that I was like, God, mm. get rid of her. Ugh. <laughs> Is she worse than baby Molly? I don't know. <laughs> One thing that kind of kept nagging me was just like, how did she survive? <laughs> You'd be like, surprised. Least... There are children who survive this kind of shit. Sure. Wow. 
Like, I don't know, I don't I know would, for 10 years. I'm trying to like, survive least... and maintain that that eyebrow game because like, <laughs> like, like at least right. at least have her be picked up by like alien monkeys or something like the fact that she survived totally on her own that long. I'm just like, really? Are there I just mean, no predators on this planet? Right? Like, not only did she go feral. Well, the Bajorans did settle there, so probably fucking useless <laughs> assholes. But, like, they, they, like, she goes, you know, she has to survive on her own. But, like, you know, a child, say, say you have a child who gets lost in the wilderness in 1850. That child is already coming from, like, a world I find incomprehensible and unsurvivable. Mm-hmm. This kid went missing from the 24th century with replicators and post scarcity and all this other stuff. I don't think she could survive a day lost in a city. How did she have clothes when they found her? Yeah, or anything to, reminiscent of clothes. Yeah, like she Actually, had yeah, to learn. I know I'm what to yeah. kill yeah, and skin animals and she'd have been naked. That's true. Well, I was hard. bothered by the fact that she walked slouched because I don't think that ever would have happened. Her body I was think not it built would. for that. I think if she were raised by animals, she would start showing those animal traits. I know I watched a, a, a documentary while a while back about kids who raised them, who are basically raised them on like dogs, and they start like running around on all fours. Do, yeah. do you think well, that she was raised? by animals like was she adopted by a by a group of of creatures that walked and hunched over a bear a black panther some wolves (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's no indication she was but like in my mind that's the only way she should the only way she survived well that's the thing too is like you, you could say you know (laughs) <laughs> she was Games. she her mother's a botanist so she's probably learned all about you know plants you can, you eat? can eat maybe so well, maybe didn't keiko actually do some real cooking too yeah yeah keiko likes to cook so that's been established i, I would believe when, when, you know when you think about it we all as a, a human race made this journey somehow and like i i would believe maybe it's whether whether she is self created or whether she was raised by a by an ape or something, you know, I guess I guess when you think of human beings as animals, like you know, we have some stuff. You know, we can build tools. You know, presumably Molly built some tools at some point. You know, you can you can find water. She's still like three or four, so you she's can. Eight. She's yeah, eight. They, they, oh. she's eight. She's eight. She's just oh. tiny. Okay, she that's, is a that's tiny eight year old. Yeah, that's hard. That's harder to believe. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a, a suspension of disbelief too. Yeah. So two things I, I, that amused me greatly. I mean, overall, I did actually. I will say, I overall did enjoy the episode because, again, like Rosen Chow and Cole Meany did such a good job, just both like being so sad. Mm-hmm. Like even my like, wait, how did she live? Aside. But two things that amused me greatly was her stash of balls. Yes. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to hoard. I don't know what they are, but I'm hoarding them. And that's legit, too. Yeah. Uh, and two, Odo. <laughs> I thought if anyone could steal a runabout. <laughs> yeah. Which means that yes. Odo has a big book of scenarios. 
that he has been writing over the course of several Most years. Most likely to steal runabout. Well, wait, didn't, didn't oh, O'Brien actually steal a runabout before? Yeah. When, when a yeah. prophet or when the when the Pa Wraith took over? Uh, oh, also when I he was the him. replicant of himself, he stole a when good that yeah. that wasn't O'Brien. But, but it was close enough. So, like, yeah, I mean, no, he has demonstrated he can steal a runabout. And get away with it, yeah. Probably Odo's just been gradually patching holes in the security system that, that O'Brien has exposed over the years while yeah. stealing runabouts. But I just love yeah. the idea that, he, that like, he has this big book of, like, scenarios for everyone, how to defeat them. <laughs> so it's, like, how to fight American presidents, but it's everybody on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. It's by Odo. <laughs> or the, uh, you know, or the Tower of Babel, which was a Justice League storyline yeah. where... Um, Someone stole. Turns out Batman had made plans of how to defeat every other member of the Justice League in case they were like mind controlled or went crazy. Excellent. And someone stole them and used his plans. I imagine oh. Odo has just a similar book of plans like how to defeat Cisco. How to defeat Cisco if he's been possessed by a prophet. How to defeat Cisco if he's been possessed by a power wraith. How to defeat Cisco if he's shit faced. How to defeat Cisco if he has built a big old Bajoran mecha thing based on some bizarre ancient plans he found. See, here's the thing, though. Every one of those plans in Odo's book for every other solid character is just fly into their mouth and expand. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. That's how you defeat all solids. <laughs> I just, I just love that they finally admit it. You know, I, I just love they f that they finally admit in this world, and it's not just O'Brien, but like in this world, if you have a reason good enough, you're going to steal a shuttle. Yeah. And, and, you know, it happened on Next Gen all the time. Yeah, because there was and no security. No security. <laughs> they, whenever they'd steal a shuttle, like they would leave and then an alarm would go off and they'd go, Captain, the shuttle has just been stolen. We didn't stop it before, but. <laughs> yeah, like and... they, they forget all the alarms that could have led up to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's almost and, like having a fire uh -huh. alarm that doesn't go off until your house is ashes. Yes, it's so it's so pointless. And, and for Odo to finally just admit it is such yeah. an important part of of trek i think and it you know it's at, at a at a certain point like you just have to admit that you you don't really care if your shuttle gets stolen if there's yeah. a good enough reason oh you know it's funny i looked up the guy who played jones the jones. Like the the starfleet security officer that actually gets them at the airlock okay mm. cuz i was like is he familiar and it turns out he has been in the background for years as a security officer, because he is Cole Meany's photo double in standing. Oh, that makes sense. Huh. So O'Brien caught himself. Ah. Sounds like O'Brien. That's, that's why he was stopped. The only one that could stop O'Brien was O'Brien. Oh, guys, we saw Chester again. Yeah. 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 I was going to read right. you guys my, my first three like notes that. of the episode. Already sick of Molly and she just entered the room. Chester's here, and I hate Keiko even more for wanting to get rid of him, you bitch. And then <laughs> I laughed so maniacally when Molly fell in the well. <laughs> Jake wow. can attest, I laughed for like a minute straight. Yeah, it's true. I don't need Jake to attest, I believe it. <laughs> oh, God, and the weird pseudo-guardian of forever with a TARDIS control panel. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get that. I, I, I mean, uh... Dax know. had a great line. Good job, Dax. It was, 
it's some kind of time portal. <laughs> and I clap. Like, yeah. You say. Good job. You're the science it's, officer. They it's really, a stone tablet with writing on it. They really still should have blown it up after young Molly came back. Probably. Like, that needs to be destroyed. Yeah. Or used in the war somehow? I don't know. No, yeah. no, destroy well, it. Right? But yeah. the thing is, it, it appears to only go back to one point in time. So, mm. like, it's and a it's great time machine Molly's. if you want to go to the exact <laughs> moment that, that, that Molly went to. Well, that's just because they don't know how to use it. Mm. And also, it needs to be blown up before anyone figures out how. In my notes, I, I, I tried to write down anomaly, and I wrote, anah, Molly. <laughs> nah. Do, 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 do. Like, seriously, all this fucking just time travel stuff laying around willy nilly. Yeah, it's a wonder there's like not a serious problem with uh, paradoxes constantly. Yeah, like I bring it's it's bring back Maldrin and Skelzo or whatever. They got to blow that thing up. Do you mean Mulder and Scully? No, I can't remember their names. The temporal. Luxley and. Oh, oh God, the other one, like Dumbler. It was, it was literally yeah. a, a anagram of his name. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they heard he got the report about this and we're like, oh, for fuck. And how much? Like, goddamn. The Bajorans have the orb of time and they've apparently colonized a world with a time portal on it. Like. What the hell? No one has had a picnic here before the O'Briens. Apparently not. We are. It is the. Uh. The machine was turned on by the active waves of Sufferon, which is a special <laughs> radiation only given off by O'Briens. <laughs> there was an uh, I anecdote I read uh, about this episode that drove me fucking crazy. And that's that. So they're filming it on the in the location where the nice field is and doing the thing. And Rosalind Chow is delivering her lines as she is wont to do, being an actress and all. And the crew is over here somewhere and they're all chatting or they're all like whispering under under their breaths, which they don't normally do when you're in the middle of filming a scene. And she's like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Interesting. And the scene ends and it turns out there was a snake coming their way, like a rattlesnake coming their way. And they they finished the scene and, and the director had no idea because he was watching the scene. And, you know, they, they finish the, the take. Everybody gets out of the way. The snake goes through. The park ranger goes through, clears out the snake, does the thing. And I'm thinking in my brain, like a normal person, anyone who sees danger should yell cut and move out of the way. Yeah. When there is yeah. danger, anyone should be like, I work in a fucking theater. We have established. Sure. Usually the director is the only one that yells cut. But if there is fucking danger. Yeah. You fucking stop. Unless... Maybe with snakes, you need people to, like... Remain calm. Yeah, and it's just like, all right, we gotta be, like... Well, so, no, you, you say know. cut, you say, everyone, we're gonna move over here. Yeah. You don't have to yell, cut, snake, fuck, everyone, freak <laughs> out immediately, oh, no! <laughs> uh. But it's more fun if you do. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. You know, they were afraid if they, uh, if they made it too plain, Cole Meany would, like, try to take it down. Let me show you how we deal with snakes and Ireland. <laughs> Rips his shirt off, tackles it, starts wailing on it. Whacking day. Yeah. <laughs> My last note is just amusing to me, so I wanted to read it. And that just for some reason on Wikipedia, it linked to what they used for the melon prop that Miles <laughs> and uh, Molly got to eat. Amazing. Um, the, the type of melon is it, it is called an African horned cucumber, also mm -hmm. known as horned melon, spiked melon, jelly melon, 
Kiwano, or Cucosaurus. <laughs> Cucosaurus? Because it's wow. like a spiny thing, so it looks kind of like Paleolithic. I don't fucking know. I like. I thought that was amusing. Now I want to try one. I it feel also like... apparently is delicious. Oh, what a perfect thing delicious. to give a kid. <laughs> Here's a food that's she's... also a dinosaur. Well, she's, a, she's, she's kind of a caveman at this point. Right. Like... Yabba dabba, don't go there. <laughs> nice. Thank that's you. the title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Because it works for both of them. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> <laughs> Once again. Uh, I like a Worf in this episode, despite the bullheadedness. Oh yeah. You know, I, I think I think you know he's he's been like an asshole to Dax in in some ways, but I, I feel like with the wedding past, he's kind of settling into Worf the married man. And even if he's obnoxiously insecure, it's at least sort of a different. Like, I, I really like that he, he freaked out over bumping that kid's head. Mm. And it reminded me that he actually killed a guy when he was in his teens. Oh, That's God, right. I forgot uh, about that. Playing yeah, soccer, right? With a headbutt. Yeah. And that was from a terrible episode, but it's a good, you know, it kind of explains a lot about Worf. It does. It does. Yeah, no, I, I said it recently. He's a better husband than boyfriend. Absolutely. Shame it won't last. Yeah. No. But it's like, I, I you know. Oh, you're you're judging me. It's like, oh no, sweetie, I judged you ages ago when I met Alexander. Ah! <laughs> Judgment has been passed, bitch. You have been found lacking. It's so funny though, like when he first walks in and sees Yoshi, his eyes fucking lit up. It reminded mm. me a lot of that time that like there was a baby and Cisco was like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Got Cisco really excited about the baby. Oh, I love watching the men in this show oh, go nuts baby, for these babies. That it's so cute. Baby yeah. has now never existed. That is true. You're right. That was one of the that was one of the children of time babies. It was. It was. Oh well. But yeah, the uh I love the idea of Worf being like, I can prove I don't suck as a father. <laughs> yeah. I'm yes. sure of it. By this one test. If it's one I care about, I'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you think? Uh, do you think? Just well, he's also you know older and more mature now, huh? As I was say, do you think physiologically there's issues with a joined trill being pregnant? Like, do you, like I can imagine it gets a little crowded in there. <laughs> That's true. Well, apparently she's given birth before, but and also if, uh, if, if if she was joined at the time, five right? is a father and four right. is a mother or something. Right. The implication I mean, I, it's got to be possible. Well, no, she time. definitely was. One of her other times, she definitely was. Or, well, not Jadzia, but uh, well, yeah, obviously the Trill thing. Maybe the uterus is in a different location, so, like, could be. Yeah. instead of getting a big belly, they just get this huge bulge on their left side. Their arm just kind of has to rest on it. I'm just imagining every time the baby kicks, it's kicking the, the symbionts, and the <laughs> symbionts like, God fucking damn it! <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. See, I was just thinking that, like, as the womb expands, it kind of, like, is tighter a little bit for the for the symbiont. But I was thinking, like, that might be kind of comforting as, like, almost like a weighted blanket type situation for the symbiont. <laughs> but yeah, you're That's right. Cool. Getting used as a kicking board or yeah. whatever is probably not very nice. Oh, yeah, no, this is fucking great. Learn <laughs> this. Weighted blanket my ass. Well, do we even know if the symbiont really has, like, nerve endings and stuff? I, I don't, don't know. know. I, we, kind we, of we a bug thing. It's right? hard to imagine yeah. it does. It might. We for all we know, it is just a hard drive. So, 
You know? Yeah. I mean, our internal organs don't don't have nerve endings. Really? Unless, yeah. unless they do, and we don't know. I presume since we saw <laughs> them, we, we've seen them swimming around in the in the symbiont pool on the trail mm. planet, that they must have something so that when they're swimming around, they're not, like, swimming into shit. Yeah. They've got to be other. somewhat somewhat sentient. Yeah. To, I don't know. I to mean, survive on their own. Limited sentience. <laughs> Yeah, but you could say the same of, like, single-celled organisms. They kind of propel themselves around, but I don't think they feel shit. True. Hmm. So, if it's just a big flagellum, it doesn't feel anything. But they want to have self-preservation. Or maybe it's a paramecium. Hello, terms I haven't thought of since, like, ninth grade. Guys, we're missing the obvious answer. Trailer marsupials. Ooh. Oh, so the fetus a little friend. For the a fetus while. doesn't get terribly big before it crawls oh, out and has to get in the pouch. Baby. Gets in the pouch, does the little kangaroo thing. Its first toy is snuggling with the with the, yeah. symbiont. the symbiont. I was gonna say they elbow the symbiont out of the way. Yeah, you know, eventually they gotta get a special uniform where like the kid's head can pop out. Nah, <laughs> I, I don't great, think I've ever thought of the trill as so adorable. Huh? That's that's a very adorable way to. Uh, yeah. Give birth. Of course, they're if they're still in the pouch, they're not fully formed yet. So that's disgusting. Yeah, I was going to say, Carl, have you ever seen a kangaroo as it crawls into the marsupial pouch? As it just looks like a little pink, wet jelly bean. You know, I'm picturing yeah. it later on when it's yeah, still... Yeah, later in the process, it gets bigger and yeah, looks that's more true, like, that's a, true. like a Where kangaroo. it, like, yeah, spends a little time in the pouch, a little time outside. We're talking kanga and little roo times. Yeah, 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 right, yeah exactly. Not gross... Yeah, no. Chew, uh, chewing gum roux. phase. I guess I was just thinking of cartoons. Actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's late in the process, there's like, you know, just this little baby's head poking out of their shirt like a, an adorable Quado. Ah. Oh, God, I hate Quado so much. Gross. Uh, do we have anything else? Because we've gotten to a weird place. Yeah, we've been talking for eight <laughs> years about this. We have. At least. We've gotten to Quato, so we're, we're well past the point of any usable... Uh, that, material. That's a sign we're out of ideas. We're talking about Quato. Yeah. T- two episodes in which on the end link, end, ending, I literally just wrote in my notes, no, don't end it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't quite know what that ending was meant to be like. Check it out. Molly drew a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was weird. But it was yeah. like, oh, there's one less tree. Guess, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, they, I, they still had faces on them, which was interesting. Yeah, I guess yeah. it was supposed to be unnerving, but like. Well, yep, it mostly just sense. made me feel bad for older Molly. Like, wow, her her artistic skills never really developed. Eight year old Molly does just as great as she did. Right. I'm sure she wasn't doing much drawing. I know that it's probably not the point, but I didn't get K- it. Cave paintings, also... perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting if they had shown us cave paintings in the in that space in the present day. Mm. That would be cool. That had the same, like, had the face on the tree. That oh, good. that's an interesting ending. They actually like they go around where the thing had been and there's like the bag. <laughs> like if they hadn't explicitly shown old Molly vanishing and just had little Molly go through the door and then like panned over to a cave painting of the tree. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Or something carved into the tree because they gave her a knife, mm. like a smiley face on the bark or some shit. I don't know. They're not all gems, Hadar. <laughs> nice, that one is. Uh, that like one's it. a gem. Thank you, Hadar. Thank you. Is it a bem? 
Oh no! Oh, wow. Bemidar, no. Okay, and then let's get the hell out of here. The, the most truly terrifying thing in the yeah. fucking quadrant. Save us! Run I back into the I wilderness. Can't save you! But next week we'll talk about some other shit, and hopefully we can avoid Bem altogether. Yes, that's right, folks. Two more episodes of Deep Space Nine next week. It'll be the sound of her voice and tears of the prophets. And uh, unless. Uh, my memory is serving me poorly. I believe that will be the end of season six wrap as yeah. well, which means Holy you'll get shit. to hear about our top top threes, bottom threes, and some honorable mentions, you know, the huge. Mm-hmm. And that means you'll have- Which is the most sc- middle three. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have screenshots to look forward to from Ames as well at some point. Good thumbnails. In the meantime, uh, if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can find Stardust Deer Herby where all fine podcasts are sold. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Stardust Deer Herby. We are at SSHB Podcast on both Twitter and Tumblr. Or you can visit our website, www.sshbpodcast.com. I have been Caitlin. I'd be Jake. This has been Chris. This has been Ames. This has been Carl. Thank you, Carl, for joining us once again. It's Thank always a, a delight to have you on. It was really fun. Thank you. Yeah, you made these trash episodes feel a little less... Well, they're still trash. You felt <laughs> you, you made our conversations Excellent. good, though. Yeah, but Thank you're you. not trash. You're good. Yeah. Is there any, you. anything interesting that you'd like to share with the, the listeners? I do virtual theater sometimes, including now, and you can check it out at unreliable-narrator.com. It's good stuff. Give him a give him a look. Carl and I did a lot of work together we back did. in the day, and it was always a lot of fun. Yeah. And great shows, so check it out. Oh, and we had a rule of acquisition this week. That's right. Number, it was 94. Mm-hmm. Finances and females don't mix. Shouldn't mix? Don't. Don't Haven't mix. mixed. <laughs> Mm. Shall not mix. Mix. Remix. 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 Remix.